it's so nice to see you all. I w- couldn't be here last week, so I've missed the first Sundays of each of our new venues. Uh, I wasn't here last week because I was sick. I had a COVID test last Friday. That was fun. Um, and it came back negative, um, but it did come back positive for the human rhinovirus, which sounds way cooler. Um, it's just a common cold, so don't freak out, and I'm fine now. Um, but Elliot's been laughing at me all week because I've been in bed sick, and I'm preaching on well-being this morning. Um, so let's just let that sink in. Also, those of you who know me know that I'm not particularly good at saying no, and a lot of you have to be my accountability in that. And so there is just this deep sense of irony in the fact that this is what we're talking about this morning, but here we are, so let's do it. We started a new series last week called Discipleship in the New Normal. We're talking about what does life look like, not post-COVID necessarily, but after we've been through this experience together. Because the reality is that we are not in the same place that we were at the beginning of the year. The world has changed and so have we. We aren't going back. In fact, we can't go back to what was because we have changed. Because everything that we've experienced in the last few weeks and months has shaped us. It's formed us. It's changed how we view the world. And that kind of rapid change through a really stressful ongoing event takes a significant toll on our well-being, on our ability to flourish. So it's worth naming some of these things and I want to see if you can resonate with any of these. Over the last few months we've had to seriously rethink and refocus on what's important to us. We've had to adjust how we go about our days. I don't know about you but I've been asking questions like, do I really need to leave the house to go to the shops? Is it safe? That's something that before COVID, I just did. I didn't think about. And now it takes mental energy to think, do I actually need to go to the supermarket today? Uh, We've had to give up things we've loved and that have brought us joy, that were good outlets for stress and were overall just good for our well-being. Things like going to the gym, meeting friends at a coffee shop or a pub, playing weekend sport, playgroups, things like that. Things that we took for granted And we've had to give up a lot of things that we were looking forward to, that kind of light at the end of a tunnel after a hard few months at work. Things like travel and holidays, visiting family interstate and overseas, major sporting events, so the Olympics are meant to be on at the moment, weddings and other celebrations. Many of us have had to adjust to life online and a massive increase in screen time and of sitting down, knowing full well that it isn't good for us, but not feeling like we have any choice in the matter. Not to mention the added stress of having to figure out how to do our jobs online. And then we've probably faced mixed feelings of returning to pre-COVID commitments. Some people have returned to work with excitement uh, and other people with trepidation. Either way, probably a little bit tiring as we've had to readjust again, knowing that it could all change in the weeks and months to come. If we're honest, like really honest, we've probably started viewing people with a level of suspicion. Like how, uh, how like cautious are you to come up and talk to me afterwards knowing that I have been sick over the last couple of weeks? Anyone who's sneezing or coughing in public or anyone who like stands too close in the shops, I'm like, could you not? <clears throat> viewing people like that takes a toll on relational well-being and our desire to engage with others. And we've had to absorb a lot of new information. We've learned about viruses and vaccines and community transmission and infection rates and social distancing and venue capacity and being COVID safe and projected death rates. And mostly we've just been given the information and been left to deal with it on our own and make sense of it all. 
We've had to find coping strategies, ways of staying well, body, mind and soul in the midst of uncertainty. Some of these have served us well. Perhaps you've gotten out and gotten more exercise than you were before. But others have possibly had negative consequences. For example, research shows that alcohol and porn consumption are way up. And these are strategies that are going to have lasting impacts on people personally and on us as a society. And if we think about it, all of this has happened on the back of the trauma of the bushfires over Christmas and January. Pretty crazy. So it's worth naming that the last few months have been really hard work. And it's no wonder that Australian researchers McCrindle have recently written the following about wellbeing during COVID. Listen to this and see if you resonate. Australians are experiencing a range of emotions as they navigate the complex world of COVID-19. The most common emotion that 38% of Australians are experiencing continues to be anxiety, although this has reduced since March when it was more than two in five or 45% of Australians feeling anxious in response to the unfolding situation. Earlier in the year, 37% Australian, of Australians were frustrated, 29% feeling vulnerable and 28% feeling scared. Over the last few months, Australians are more likely to have felt the biggest negative impact on their social life, with 42% of Australians reporting they've missed seeing friends and family. For almost 3 in 10 Australians, however, the biggest impact has been felt financially, likely through the reduction or loss of income. 17% of Australians have felt the negative impact from COVID on their mental health with increased levels of anxiety and depression, while 13% have been most affected physically through fearing for their, mental, uh, their physical health and for getting less sleep or exercise. So it's worth thinking about that if you aren't feeling any of these things or haven't experienced any of these challenges over the last few months, chances are that the person sitting next to you has because 45% of people feeling anxious about COVID is a pretty significant statistic. And if you are still feeling that way, you are definitely not alone. So we've all shared the experience of COVID globally, but it's impacted us all differently. There's been over and under employment. It's been a refreshing season for some and a draining season for others. Some are seeing it as a new opportunity and some as an insurmountable challenge. Some people are seeing isolation as the best thing ever, that would be me, and for others, the absolute worst. For some, it's been a time of certainty and clarity, and for others, a time of confusion. For some people, it's been a time of hope, and others, a time of fear. And chances are that we've experienced different levels of all of these things over the last few months, sometimes feeling all of them in the same day. And we may continue to feel them for some time as we watch the COVID story continue to unfold, not only around the world, but in our neighbouring states. And this includes the worry and the stress that comes from having family and friends living in Victoria at the moment. In many ways, we are still in the middle of this. In the midst of it all, we want to ask the question, what are we learning about our well-being? Our own well-being, our family's well-being, our community's well-being. One of the questions that the pastoral team have been asking uh, during COVID is this. We've been asking, what has this season revealed or exposed? And so I've got a couple of ideas. There may be more, but these are the things I've been reflecting on, what this season has revealed about our well-being. And the first is this. We don't like not knowing and not being in control. I think deep down, we know that we can't actually control much of life. But when things are tracking along normally, it's easy to kind of live our lives as if we are in control. We can plan our weeks and our months and our years knowing what's coming next, or at least we think we do. 
But a global pandemic throws all of that into chaos and reminds us of our lack of control, that planning for the future is subject to so many external factors outside our control. And that is scary and that is tiring and that is unenjoyable. And that's the place we've been for the last few months. This has been underlying much of the fear and anxiety that Australians have been feeling. Coming to terms with the new world that we live in is stressful. One of the things that I hope this season has revealed, um, I pray it has revealed, is a deeper empathy for anyone living with long-term anxiety or in isolation because of chronic illness. Think about the weeks of isolation. Think about how you felt when you had to be at home, um, not seeing other people, maybe just your family, how you were feeling, whether you had any feelings of anxiousness. That is the daily reality for a lot of people in our community, not just our community here, but the wider community as well. So I hope that upon reflection of this season, that our empathy will grow. Not for us to be able to say, I now know how you feel, uh, because that's certainly not the case, but to know that we've been given a small glimpse of what it's like to live with anxiety or with a chronic illness that means we have to be isolated. I think it's important that we grow in our compassionate response to people, that we become better listeners, and that we think before we speak or offer unhelpful advice to those who are anxious and isolated. I also hope that it can be a reminder for us that people living in isolation and with anxiety are vital to our community and that we have a lot to learn from them about the importance of prioritising wellbeing. Um, and also maybe, uh, yeah, if you're listening to this at home on the podcast later um, and you're someone who is having to be isolated for whatever reason, uh, I just want you to know that you are loved um, and you're a part of our community and we love having you as part of our community. Um, and that in engaging in community is going to look different for different people in this season particularly. But most predominantly, I think, the thing that's been revealed or exposed is that our pace of life pre-COVID as a society and personally was unrealistic and unsustainable. This is again from a Crindle research um, and I think these statistics are fascinating, so just bear with me. 65% of Australians who worked from home through COVID reported better work-life balance. 65% of Australians working from home reported better work-life balance and 51% reported improved productivity. So while there was challenges like isolation and the blurring of work and home, above all, the benefits to working from home outweighed these. McCrindle also found that more than half of Australians spent more time with their family and household members and they say they want this to continue. Half of Australians also enjoyed a slower pace of life and want this to continue. A third of Australians reported their love for the outdoors has been rekindled, spending more time in nature and they want this to continue. And interestingly, more than one in four Australians have spent time praying or on spiritual pursuits and would like this to continue. That's pretty cool. What that tells me is that many people had a chance to slow down and realise they wanted more of it because it's good for their well-being. They've spent more time enjoying family and the outdoors, have found a better work-life balance and have had more time to pursue spirituality. Being isolated has provided more motivation to get outside and exercise. Like in theory, people are not working more. I still spend just as much time in front of my computer, but for some reason being stuck at home rather than the office made me motivated to go for a walk every day. It's weird how that happened. People have been more motivated to sleep at a reasonable time, to eat well. All of the things that we knew were good before, but COVID has just exposed how necessary they are for our well-being and how necessary it is for us to be intentional with our well-being. So if the stats are to be believed, people are tired 
and anxious coming out of the last few months and are looking for rest and a chance to breathe. And I think this is the invitation of Jesus to us as well. He says this. This is um, Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, if you want to follow along. Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. A couple of things I noticed from this passage. The first is that Jesus has chosen to call and reveal the kingdom to those who are tired and burdened, those who are troubled and beaten down, burnt out, those who are weary from hard labour and from carrying a burden, not to the people who appear to have it all together. The invitation is that if you are feeling worn out, you can find rest in Jesus. Then Jesus talks about a yoke, probably not something that's common to your language unless you're into farming pre-machines or you're a baker, Uh, but let's think farming. A yoke was used to harness two oxen together for farming or for pulling carts. And Jesus is using the metaphor here to talk about the yoke of the law that was placed on the people by the religious leaders of their day. It also describes the yoke or the burden experienced from fighting the struggles and anxieties of daily life in the culture that they lived. And perhaps you can resonate with that, fighting against the struggles and anxieties of the culture. But Jesus' invitation here is to rest, the kind that can only be found in him. And what's really interesting to me is that Jesus says, take my yoke, which to me seems really counterintuitive. Why would someone feeling burdened who had thrown off one yoke want to come over and put another one on? But Jesus says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Jesus' invitation here is to join us in his work, to be yoked with him, walking with him, finding rest in him, dependence on him. Does this mean life will never be hard and there'll never be challenges? Of course not. We've seen that over the last couple of months that following Jesus doesn't kind of remove us from experiencing the hard things in life. So what does it look like? Well, Jesus says, learn from me, watch how I do it. This is discipleship, hearing and watching Jesus' life and living in the same way. And strangely, this is how Jesus says we'll find rest. If we're yoked to him, if we work with him, if we walk with him, we will find rest. I want you to listen to the way that Eugene Peterson paraphrases this passage in the message. He puts it like this, and I love it. He says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything or ill-fitting or heavy on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I love that way of describing what it looks like to live like Jesus, to learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Rhythms is a word we use a lot around Richmond. Uh, And this is a great passage that describes it. What are Jesus' rhythms? How did he do it? And what do we learn from him? I was reading an article this week by a Christian scientist who also happens to be a drummer. So if you're into percussion or if you're a drummer, hopefully this resonates with you. And he explained it like this. Life is best lived with the right rhythm. It's what drummers call being in the groove. As a drummer, it's when you feel the rhythm so deeply that you're almost obligated to stay in it. Not too fast, not too slow. In life, being in the groove is feeling the unforced rhythms of grace. 
This unforced rhythm of grace, this groove, happens when we find the right rhythm between yes and no, the right rhythm between notes and space. This is the space of well-being, the right rhythm between yes and no. Well-being is found in the right rhythm of community and solitude, the right rhythm of giving and receiving, the right rhythm of work and rest, the right rhythm of being grateful and naming the things that are hard. So the four things I want to talk about this morning, there may be others. Uh, You may be able to think of other yes and no rhythms that we should find in our life for well-being, but these are the four that stood out to me. The first is finding the right rhythm of community and solitude. So as Elliot said last week, community is really important in the new normal, but it's also key to our well-being. Humans were created to be in relationship. And when we look at the life of Jesus, we see him spending a lot of time in community. He had his close circle of three and then his slightly larger circle of 12 and then the many other disciples and friends that journeyed with him. He spent time celebrating with people and journeying with people, teaching people, healing people, grieving with them when they were sad. And there's a lot that we can learn from the life that Jesus spent in community with others. But well-being is found in the right rhythm of community and solitude. And you might think it's strange to talk about solitude coming out of isolation because none of us really want to think about having to go back to that. But it was one of Jesus' regular rhythms to withdraw to a quiet place to pray, probably to think and refresh to get away from the crowds and the noise where there were no distractions. And Jesus knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing because he was Jesus, but also because our modern research backs up what he says. This is really interesting. Recent studies on cognitive function have proven that we are better off reducing reducing the amount of notes and noise in our lives. I don't think anyone's surprised by that, but this is what's interesting. One University of London study found that constant emails and text messaging reduces mental capacity by an average of 10 points on an IQ test. Maybe time to put our phones down. Our world does not make it easy to disconnect, but it is just as important a practice as it is being in community to practice solitude. You might use the solitude to pray, to read the Bible, to think, or simply get away from the noise and let your heart and your mind recover from the constant influx of information that we find ourselves in. And so I want to ask, what is the right rhythm of community and solitude of engaging and withdrawing for you in this season? The second is finding the right rhythm of giving and receiving. I don't think I need to stand up here and argue that Jesus gave and served and loved abundantly and that we are called to do likewise. It's true that we can find well-being and life and joy in serving others, that as we serve and as we love and as we give to others, we too are blessed. But I wonder what Jesus taught us about receiving, about being served and about being loved. We don't talk about this side of what Jesus did so much. When can you think of a time that Jesus received from others? Perhaps you might think of the time that Mary anointed Jesus' feet. But if you look closely at the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus' ministry relied on accepting help from others. Jesus was regularly given meals by others. He was regularly given somewhere to sleep when he entered a town. His ministry and his livelihood was financially supported by other people. While Jesus was giving, he was also receiving. While he was serving, he also was served. And while he loved, he was loved in return. And so I wonder, how good are we at receiving from others? 
allowing other people to serve us, allowing other people to love us. I actually find this the hardest. Uh, It takes a lot of humility to let other people serve you and love you. But the reality is that we can't give out of what we don't have. And as we continue to walk through the unknown, uh, tough economic realities that I keep being told we're going to face on the news, perhaps you're already feeling that strain, uh, and the anxiety and the stress about what's coming next, we need each other. And there may be times where we need to rely on others to help us with our well-being. And so I want to ask you, what is the right rhythm of giving and receiving for you in this season? The third idea that I had is around finding the right rhythm of work and rest, and I would add play into the rest as well. So quick flick through the Gospels, particularly the Gospel of Mark, will give you the impression that Jesus was always on the go, that he lived life at full pace. But it's also worth noting um, about Jesus that he was a first century Jewish man and his primary mode of transport was walking. So between his sermons and when he uh, wasn't feeding the multitudes or raising people from the dead, he would spend hours and hours and hours walking. His life had built in downtime. There was no tweeting, there was no live streaming, it was just him and his disciples on the road. We know that work and activity is a huge part of life and a part of life that we can't avoid and hopefully a part of life that gives us a sense of purpose and of meaning but it can't, uh, it can, sorry, and I would argue has reached unhealthy levels in our culture. The fact that people have enjoyed a slower pace of life in the last few months is telling. And to me, it says that rest and play are vital to our well-being. Contrary to popular belief, rest is not earned by doing the right amount of activity. We don't earn our rest from doing a certain amount of activity. Work has always been the invitation of God to start from a place of rest. We've been invited into our work out of a place of rest. Uh, Brene Brown, Elliot mentioned her last week. She's um, an amazing researcher on shame and vulnerability and she talks about wholehearted living. And she says this, she says that rest and play are critical to our well-being and that we have to be intentional about cultivating them. She suggests this and I think it'd be a cool practice for us to start. She suggests having a to-do list and having a joy and meaning list and making sure that both are attended to. Perhaps when you're next writing your to-do list, you might also get another piece of paper out and start writing a joy and meaning list of things that bring you joy, uh, things that are restful and playful for you. So I wanna ask, what is the right rhythm of work and rest and play for you in this season? What is the right rhythm of work and rest and play for you? The final one that I want to mention uh, is about finding the right rhythm of gratitude and naming hard things. About gratitude and joy, again, Brene Brown says this. She says, without exception, every person she interviewed who described a joyful life or a life of well-being actively practiced gratitude and attributed their joyfulness to a gratitude practice. And other other studies have found that simply naming three things that you're grateful in a day has been proven to increase wellness, joy, and your overall outlook on life. So gratitude is not about covering over hard things um, and pretending like they don't exist, but making the effort to find three things a day that you are grateful for. So the practice of gratitude could look like saying it out loud to someone else, saying, I'm grateful for these things today. Perhaps it's something you could do over the dinner table. It could look like writing it down if you're the kind of person who journals. It could look like creating art that expresses the things that you are grateful for. 
So how can you incorporate a gratitude practice into your day? There will also be times where it's important to name hard things, to say, this is crap, this situation is terrible. And being honest about hard things and naming them is not a lack of faith and it is not a lack of gratitude. Naming hard things is the first step to working through them. So if this season has been hard for you for whatever reason, find a safe person to talk to about it because naming hard things is so important. And if you need to find someone professional to talk to about it, do what you need to do. So I want to ask again, what is the right rhythm of gratitude and naming hard things for you in this season? We will all naturally side with one of these things. Some of us will side with community, some with solitude, some with preferring to give, some with preferring to receive, some with preferring to work and some preferring to rest, um, and some preferring to name things that they're grateful for and others naming things that are hard. You may not want to admit which side you would normally sit on, and that's fine. Um, You can deal with that internally. You don't have to say it to anyone. But I do want to ask, which way are you likely to swing the pendulum? Are you likely to work too much and to always be naming the hard things? I think it takes wisdom and discernment to find the right rhythm of yes and no in a different season. And this is going to look different for different people, depending on where we're at in our lives. I think we need to have the grace to let other people be where they're at as well. In this season, particularly without judgment and without expectation on other people, we want to encourage each other to grow, but we also need to be gentle with people as they figure out what's the right rhythm of yes and no for them in this season. So what rhythms of grace are working well for you at the moment? Which are maybe out of kilter or a little bit off? And what does it look like for us to find healthy rhythms when it comes to well-being and encourage others to do the same? Something to think about. Let me pray um, and then in lieu of coffee, maybe you can go have some chocolate. King Jesus, uh, just so thankful that uh, no matter what's going on in our world, that you are the same yesterday, today and forever. Um, that you are the constant one when everything else seems like an absolute mess um, and is in chaos We want to thank you this morning for your invitation to rest, that you've invited us into your rest to take on a yoke that uh, is easy and um, light and that won't burden us. I just pray as we uh, go out today that we won't forget that you are calling us to take care of our well-being as well, Um, that as much as we want to be people who give generously, who serve, who love, who do our work diligently, uh, that you are also calling us to be people who take care of ourselves and the people around us. Uh, So I pray that you would help us grow um, in a greater empathy for ourselves and for others in this season, Uh, that you would open our eyes to the places in our own lives where we maybe aren't looking after ourselves, Uh, and that you would help us um, gently hold our our friends and family accountable to the places where they could be looking after themselves as well. Uh, We just thank you that you care about our well-being, um, that you care about us being healthy and living lives that are flourishing. We pray all of these things in your precious name. Amen.